Um, I'm fighting a cough right now, so just forgive me. I might ask some people to read some some scriptures as we go along. Um, we'll see how I, I hold up. But um, really just such a blessing. We saw last Sunday kind of a, a breakthrough in, the, you know, the, in our open time and just um, the Lord really preparing us for this weekend. And, you know, we talked, I mean, there's obviously some some good things that happened in 2014. We we don't want to be all like depressed about 2014, but certainly we've had better years than, than that one was. Um, but to see, you know, and so a lot of us, our hearts were just like, Lord, this, this just isn't cutting it. You know, this is, you're, you're worthy of so much more and, um, uh, so much more of our hearts and our, our minds and our attention, our focus. And, um, you know, I just appreciate everyone who's prayed toward that end and prayed that, uh, you know, in this new year, we would leave the past, you know, 2014, we'd just leave it in the past and we'd move forward with Jesus in 2015. And, you know, I, I in no ways want to undermine, in, you know, some of you, like God did some really awesome stuff in your, in your life last year, and I don't want to take that away at all. Uh, but just collectively as a whole, as a whole church, it wasn't where it should have been. Um, but going forward in 2015 and just the potential and opportunities that we have um, for Jesus to lift his name, to worship him, to glorify him, to see his name go forward in Athens, um, in Mexico, in Tanzania and other parts of the world. You know, and, and we are coming to a stage where for some of our some of our folks are going to be um, headed out to um, different adventures, you know, grad school in different you know, cities. Um, jobs in different cities. We've got some that are going to be coming back, you know, to us, and um, Vanessa being here, one of those. And so we're going to say goodbye to one Vanessa and bring another Vanessa back in, and you know, that sort of thing happens. Um, you know, and, and so we get the sad and we get the happy, but we also get the excited about you know what God's going to teach you in your next you know place and, and phase, and you know, it, it's a journey, and and. Um, there's some challenges that are, you know, coming our direction. Obviously, there's some, some key people that, you know, might be doing other things. And there's some key people who are going to be doing other things, like Greg and Rachel. And, um, you know, it could be, have to be people to step in, you know, to, to those roles and, and to, um, you know, carry it forward. One thing I've learned, though, over my years um, in Athens is, you know, it, I used to get really concerned, you know, oh, this person's got to go, or this thing's going to happen, or whatever. Um, a lot of that was just a, a, a lack of trust in, in God that he would work and that his plans would still move forward. And, you know, that that understanding that his work isn't dependent on, you know, any one of us or any few of us, Um you know, and and nobody's excluded from that that list. And you know, we like to think sometimes that we are, you know, all that in a bag of chips. And so, um, you know, oh, what would happen if I was gone? Well, the sun's going to come up. The Church of Jesus is still going to go forward. People are still going to worship His name. People are going to still be telling other people about Jesus. Um, yeah, some immediate people close to me would be sad, but things are just going to keep right on trucking along. Um, Okay, so that's that's kind of how it goes. It's like it's a balance. It you know, it's like you are really important, 
and you are really vital and you have a privilege and opportunity to take part in God's work here and now while we're on this earth. And when you're gone or when I'm gone, there are going to be other people that God's going to use and it's going to truck right on through. You know, so it's like, yes, you're vital and no, you're not (laughs) at the same time. You know, there's a tension there. There's a balance there with that. And we don't want to overplay one side and underplay the other side of it. Um, Because when we do, whenever we overplay or underplay, we either don't fulfill our roles as God intended us to, or we think we're more than we are. Both of those are negative for the church of Jesus. Both of those are negative things. Um, so we're actually the Bible encourages us to think rightly about ourselves. You know, not to think more highly of ourselves than we should, but as to each one, as God has given a measure of faith, right? And so we're we're all different. We all have different gifts. Um, and even those who have the same gift have that in different measures, and that can also grow as you're responsible with what you have and your gift then you expand in your capacity to use that gift um, and so whatever God's given you and we want to use it for him but what, what's the fundamental what do we come back down to when we were in um, in Mexico at the camp had a series of messages on the justice of God um, and we haven't gone through that particular those particular messages um, with one hope, but at, at some point that might be a good thing to do because there's some good things in there um, that we can apply. But when we talk about the justice of God, what's the, the root and foundation of it uh, is God's character. And the primary parts of God's character is that God is holy and that God is love. How do you prove God's holy? Uh, somebody read Isaiah Six, just read like the first four or five verses. Be cool. Whoever gets there, go ahead, Peter. You start okay. cranking. Isaiah six. Yeah, first four or five verses. Just okay. Go to your stop. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to the they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I am among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Amen. That's good. It's good. The Lord is holy. God is holy. And God is love. First um, John 4 8 states that very clearly. But um, love is you know part of the essential character of God. Um, you know, for God so loved the world, you know, that most famous verse, um, most well known verse in, in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but has everlasting life. For God so loved, and God loves because love is essential to his character, that God is love. You know, and, and what happens, though, with people is um, they either, you know, we have, again, that whole balance and tension thing we talked about just a minute ago about how we view ourselves. That same thing's true in how we view God. When a person views God as holy but doesn't view anything else about God, 
it can lead to some distortion about God. And when people view God as love, but nothing else about God, and don't think about His holiness, but just God as love, that leads to a distortion. When it comes to the issue of salvation, if the focus is strictly God is holy, it ends up in a much narrower view of who's going to be saved. And it can also end up um, a distortion of how a person is saved. Because then it can be about good works and about being good enough to please a holy God. And the focus is just God is loved, then it can be everyone's going to be saved. And it doesn't matter how you live your life because even if you believe in Him, even if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter how you live your life because you know God is love and you know it's all cool, so just do what you want. So we see distortions, but when you have balance and you view that God is holy and then God is love, it makes the gospel make sense. It makes the gospel be the only way that that works, that that way it plays out practically. Because God is holy means there has to be a punishment for sin, that His holiness demands a reckoning. As a just judge, He cannot just... You know, we, we think of God as just being, you know, that God could just, with sin, be kind of like, oh, well, that's no big deal. It's done with. But His holiness demands justice. His holiness demands payment. And we couldn't pay it because we're sinful. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we couldn't do it. Even the very best of us. And, you know, we can maybe look good compared to the world's worst, right? But compared to a holy God, you know, what does the scripture say? You know, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We can't. It would never be good enough. It would never be enough. And so God, though in His love puts on human flesh fully God and fully man Jesus Christ the Messiah Emmanuel God is with us you know, came and dwelt among humanity lived among humanity and took on humanity and knew what it was to be hungry and to be tired and to be thirsty and to be sad in a human way to suffer new physical pain new disappointment, new all these things, new temptation, yet was perfect and sinless and the only one who ever has and whoever could do that. And He's the solution and He's you know, the answer. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is everything. And as um, Andrew read for us earlier out of Colossians 1, He is everything. Everything in Him exists. Apart from Him, nothing would exist. And it's all for Him. He is the point. He is the point. You know, that's the hardest thing many times for people to come to Jesus. Is to acknowledge, I'm not good enough, I'm not adequate, I'm not the point. This isn't all about me. But Jesus 
is perfect and he is adequate. He is enough. And he is the point. He's what it's all about. So Jesus goes to the cross and it's God's love for us that puts Jesus on the cross and it's God's holiness that puts Jesus on the cross. The Father's love and the Father's holiness that put Jesus on the cross for us. So then, you know, we have this invitation that Jesus gives, you know, come and follow me. You know, that that belief in Him that is much more than a cognitive um, agreement with facts. But it's from the deepest part of who we are. You know, Jesus asked that question basically of do you believe in me? Do you trust me? And so, you know, for those of, of us who have said yes to that, yes, Jesus, we believe that you're the, you are it and you're the only way. And my sins have separated me from, from, from God completely. And Jesus, you are the mediator and you're, the, you're it. You're the only way. And we've you know, taken that invitation to follow him. That has repercussions you know, for our whole lives. You know, it means that when we believe in Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit and we're made part of the church, the whole you know, body of Christ. Everybody who has believed in Jesus and who will believe in Jesus, we're all one family in God. And we're going to spend eternity together as a family. And, and that's awesome. And there's going to be so many different people and so many different types of people there. But we have one common, one thing in common above all else. We all need a Jesus. We all were loved by Jesus and we trusted him. We believed him. You know, we talk about commonalities when it comes to the body of Christ. God forgive us if we need anything more in common than Jesus. You know, in the, in churches around the world, you know, especially in, in our country, our country is at least a prime example. You know, the church churches are so, in general, so homogenous. People of generally one ethnicity, and within that ethnicity of one socioeconomic bracket. Yeah, it might be a white church, but it's usually either a white upper class church, or a white middle class church, or a white poor church. It might be a black church, but if it's upper class black church, middle class black church, lower class. I hate those terms, especially the word lower. Same thing in Hispanic churches. We understand, you know, we don't understand how many times we're just so influenced and we just go right along with the world system, not even realizing we're just going right along with the world system. But Jesus should be enough to change 
our mindsets about all that and change that. And that's all we really need in common. And everything else we can play out from there. We need Jesus. That's it. We need Jesus. And we need to get rid of all those barriers in our own hearts, in our own minds that hinder us from loving other followers of Jesus that are grew up differently than we did or that you did or I did. And those things that hinder us from sharing Jesus with people who are different than we are. I love what Steve Nelson came when he shared with us a few weeks ago. We said, we're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. You know, it's so true, so powerful. It's like, man, we found something, we were hungry. And we found what satisfies. And we have the privilege and opportunity to tell other people, here's what satisfies. Here's what satisfies. So what we do, Romans 12, we can look at that for a minute. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy. You know, and really that's so much of what Romans, the book of Romans is about, is in view of God's mercy, that mercy he took on you know, those who had rebelled against him. But in view of that, present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, your spiritual service of worship. Certainly, you know, worship is ascribing worth to or giving worth to. And, you know, we certainly worship when we come together and we sing our praises to God and we pray to God and we tell Him how wonderful He is. We tell the truth about God. Think about that. You know, a lot of times worshiping God is telling the truth about God from a, out of a sincere and loving heart. And then... That should play out in how we live our lives through the week. That we're still, you know, showing God that He's worthy in how we love the people in our families, and how we love our coworkers, and how we love the people we, you know, play sports with or go to class with or whatever else it is we do. That we show the love of God when we go and get our groceries and how we treat 
the cashier. That we show the love of God to the person who is, um, when you went to eat lunch or dinner, to the person uh, who, who serves your table or who prepared the food in the back. You know, some restaurants they have where you kind of see the people that are working back there. You ever just go to poke your head back and say, thank you for that meal. I really appreciate it. And just the difference that I can make in somebody's day. Because people don't do that. Most people don't do that sort of stuff. They don't take time to take the time and the effort to care about the people around them in just a very small and practical way. You know, you might be part of doing more than just somebody changing somebody's day through something really simple like that. That could leave, you know, how that interaction goes could, you know, lead to changing somebody's life. To say to somebody, hey, we're going to give thanks for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you for? Do we understand that, I mean, we, I don't do that nearly enough. Rarely. We understand how much that could just, not just change somebody's day, but change their life. Just so many little things. There's, you know, we, we so many times are looking for that, like, big, grandiose idea or thing that, you know, we've done this, like, powerful whatever it is that we can grab hold of and say, yeah, we did that for God. But if you could just add up all those little interactions in everyday life, those are leverage for Jesus and really used for Him for that purpose, for His glory and honor and to bless and to benefit other people. And you have that over a whole lifetime. It's probably so much more than that big thing that you're waiting for or thinking about or whatever it is. That big vision idea. Hey, maybe God has that for you and, and praise God for that. But even that big vision idea doesn't happen without the little things and usually the the people who aren't caring about those little things and how they interact with people on a daily basis oftentimes don't get to participate in the big thing vision of God anyway. Because what does Jesus say? If you're not faithful with the small things then how can you be trusted with the big things? Principles of the kingdom. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think we've seen some of that already happen in, among us this weekend as we kind of, you know, we confess and we say, God, we're sorry for how we have conformed to this world and how we have operated according to its ways and standards and ideas and visions priorities and we said Lord we're sorry for that but do not be it's just a command do not be conformed to this world and it's just so easy to and it's so 
insidious. You know, the enemy's ways are so insidious. They're so, like, just part of everything. And sometimes they're hard for us to identify. Especially when you're in the middle of it. You know, it's easy to look into another culture because you're being outside of it and to identify, hey, those are things that don't please or honor God. Kind of harder in your own personal life as in your own culture, in your own family culture, or your own just way about going about things to identify the things that don't honor God. You know, being in Mexico and um, just give a quick example of that. I found out that the um, word for in Spanish for handcuffs is what? Wives. Esposas. They don't have another word for it. The only word they have in their language for handcuffs is wives. That's why you showed me that one. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. But, um, you know, uh, of course, of course. But, you know, look, look at that. And I'm just like, that's evil. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's just awful. That's such an awful mentality. It's just built right in there into the everyday language. It's just an awful mindset and, and mentality to have. It's evil. It's sinful. But even many followers of Jesus in the culture would never even like think about it. But do we realize that every culture has that sort of stuff? It's just a matter of what it is. And so that's where we, sometimes we really just need to ask God, like, God, what's our garbage? What is, what are the things we're being conformed to that we don't even know, understand we're being conformed to? What is it? But do not be conformed to this world. And that John 15, the themes other elders have have taught on over the weekend. Um, And just going back and looking through those and how that ties into the Romans 12, 1 and 2. We said from the the first one, there's a lot lot on... um, We have a lot about obedience. We have a lot about loving one another. We have a lot about being willing to suffer. You know, persecution... And all of those lessons were were awesome for us. And we see that those are really those strong indicators of like, how do we not be conformed to the world? Well, first thing, obedience to God. <laughs> Vanessa, you're just, and Eduardo, you're just here. But uh, we already talked about, Derek brought it up, the... Uh, that phrase that you know obedience is God's love language and just what a powerful concept that that is it's how we show God that we love him as we obey him we do what he asks us to do in his word and then also that direction through the Holy Spirit of what 
God wants us to do in particular situations, particular decisions. Obedience. Well, for obeying God, then that helps us not be conformed to the world. If we love one another, that certainly helps us not to conform to the world. Because that's contrary you know, to a lot of the world's ways, but also in that love is truth, in that love is accountability, in that love is, you know, if I'm being loved, that means my brother or sister who sees me in error loves me enough to say, Chet, you're wrong. And that needs to change. And Jesus expects better of you than that. Ooh. It asks the question of how are you doing? No. How are you really doing? How are you and Jesus doing? No. How are you and Jesus really doing? It doesn't take that flippant, oh, I'm cool. And be okay with that as a sufficient answer. Love digs deeper than that and exposes our hearts where we really are. And love is willing to do the hard things. However you view that word persecution in your context, in one context that may mean going to jail or being beaten for Jesus. In another context, it may mean feeling uncomfortable for Jesus. It may be mean made fun of or looked down upon intellectually or whatever it is. You know, a lot of it's an academic environment. And so faith in Jesus can be viewed as childish and silly. Sometimes we just need to embrace the childish. Because Jesus says of such are the kingdom. But to be viewed as intellectually inadequate. Whatever the whatever it is. Or maybe it's that your family members look at you strange because don't want to commit the same sins or your peer group looks at you as strange because you don't want to participate in the things that dishonor God maybe it costs friendship or it costs family closeness or ties sometimes it strengthens and sometimes it takes away that's usually not, I mean, that's not, it's not based on God. It's often not based on the follower of Jesus, but it's just based on the reaction to it. But, you know, just as a little thing there, maybe we'll, we'd be willing to suffer for Jesus or to, in any way, but may we not be willing to suffer because we're arrogant about our faith. Or the sinfulness of our flesh and the bad attitude of our flesh. And then bring, put Jesus in front of that as the excuse or the reason why. You understand what I'm saying? 
Sometimes people are just jerks and then they throw the name of Jesus in there. Well, it doesn't make you less of a jerk. You know, so we have to be real with that. But when it comes down to the, the beautiful blessing, it says, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When, when we live not conformed to this world, when we live transformed, when we live in obedience and love and sacrifice, we find out that God's way is what? Good, acceptable, perfect. That's what it is. We find out that God's way is better. And if you've ever tested that, perhaps you've been committing a sin that you really like. I like that. But the Bible says differently, and I don't want to give that up. But for Jesus, okay, I'll give it up. And so you're obedient. And then you realize, wait, the way of Jesus is so much better than the sin I thought that was so good had nothing in comparison to the goodness of Jesus. And so you've proved it. You've proved that the will of God yeah, and there, you know, so many times when we talk about the will of God, we talk about like circumstances or like something that happens. But I challenge us to think about the will of God not just in those terms, but to think about the will of God in terms of having character that God approves of. Think about the will of God in terms of your character your heart, your sanctification, you know, being set apart for God's purposes, your holiness, your love. Think about that being the will of God. Really, the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life. So many times we focus on, you know, is it the will of God for me to go to Tanzania or not, or to Mexico or not, or to take this job or not? And we don't focus nearly enough on the will of God for us to be loving, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So maybe we can change the conversation and focus less on the like the specifics about God wants me to do X, Y, or Z and focus more on the character aspects. Because the character aspects transcend and play out in every context. We're so much worried about context. God's more worried about character. May worry is the wrong way to use wrong word to use there for God, but he's concerned or cares about more. We talk about our church so many times we're concerned about what we're doing or what we're not doing or what we should do. And we need to care about those things. I mean, we're doing these breakout sessions and we're trying to examine where we need to be better and get better. But as has been brought up, at least in the track that I've been in a number of times, and I believe in the other track as well, it's the first things first the heart 
you can have a great plan for being hospitable to new people. But if you don't love new people, whatever. What's the point? You have a great plan for outreach and sharing Jesus, but if you don't love Jesus and love the people who don't know Him yet, then we're like a clanging symbol. Saying with our mouths that there's bread, and with our hearts, yeah, you don't really want that bread anyway. So that heart issue is what it comes down to first all the time. What does the scripture say? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I mean, it's right there for us all the time, and yet we're so often so focused on the outward experience and, you know, outward appearance. And this is proved every Sunday morning around the world as people put on their best clothes and come with their families and there would be a big argument on the way to the meeting. But hey, when we get in there, everybody smile, say hello, and look like you got it together. Because looking like you have it together is so much more important than actually being authentic or real about where you are with Jesus and actually becoming together whole in Christ. Think about that. How absurd that is. That looking like you have it all together is more important than actually getting things together with Jesus. You know, it's like you know, so many I mean, so many things are just I'm not even talking about what's just called culturally church that has nothing to do with Jesus. I'm talking about believers. People who, who, you know, claim, you know, we love Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus. I'm talking about that group of people. The authentic. And even in that, how much of their, how much is there of looking like we have it together is more important than actually the process of becoming more like Christ. And that's just insanity. And then everybody's shocked because you know, these people got a divorce. Man, they look so happy every Sunday. All together. All the, they were there together all the time. Nothing real there. Just playing a game. And we have to say, that's just garbage. And we don't want to have anything to do with that. Because there has to be some authenticity. And man, we saw some of that last night. People were sharing in their testimonies. We'll have more time today for that. But just to read that again, I urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. very bottom line is that Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. We know that theologically. 
we know that that's the right Bible answer, right? If we say, hey, what's most important in your life? Like, is Jesus worthy of your life? Is Jesus worthy of our church? I mean, we all know the right answer. Yes. Yes. We know the right answer. But to live it in your home, among your friends, at your place of work, on the basketball court, wherever it is for you, to live it, that's a completely different deal. As a church, it's easy for us to sing it and say it and agree with it when we come together on a Sunday morning at a house fellowship. But do we mean it in the impact we're making on our community? On the UGA campus or in the poor sections of town or in you know, our places of influence? Mexico and Tanzania and we can say yeah we'll give some money to that we can say yeah we'll go on these trips and for a week we'll be you know into that but are we going to pray consistently are we going to beg God for those people to work mightily and powerfully are we going to are we going to beg god like we did for TJ the other night like we did for Niger yesterday are we going to do that consistently But first, if somebody could just, or maybe just a couple people, um, you can break it up if you want, half and half or whatever, for Revelation uh, chapter 5. We just read the whole thing. And then, like for uh, one person to give thanks for the bread, we'll pass that and take it. Another person to give thanks for the cup, we'll pass it and take it. And we'll sing a song and then go from there.